0: If you'd like to better understand which financial KPIs make the most sense for your organization, join us in the KPIs Every Financial Controller and FPNA Should Master event. In this 60 minute webinar, Paul Barnhurst, the founder of the FPNA guy, will dive into the key metrics every financial controller and FPNA professional should master, focusing on the formulas behind the numbers and the reason behind implementing their tracking in the first place. The webinar will take place on October 19th, starting from 12 p.m. EST. No matter what type of company or organization you work for, you won't want to miss this event. So find the link in the episode resources or head over to bbowl.com forward slash webinar hyphen subscription to register. Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. My guest today is Amy Huerta. Amy lives in the Highland Park neighborhood of St. Paul, Minnesota with her two daughters, partner and Mia the dog. St. Paul has been home for most of her life, and she remains very active in the community, servicing on boards and committees that focus on bringing equity and art to the neighborhoods. Amy holds a bachelor's degree in anthropology with minors in education 5 through 12 and Spanish and spent the first five years of her career teaching and managing programming in a public school system. In 2006, she made the change to nonprofit management starting on the program side and then moving into finance and operations in 2013 as a financial manager after the completion of coursework for a master's in public administration. Amy had always used business modeling and planning techniques and program development that led to strong growth and sustainability of new and existing programs. So the transition felt natural and opened opportunities to work across departments and lines of service. In 2015, Amy joined the Amherst H. Wilder Foundation as the Director of Business Performance and Financial Analysis and was promoted to Chief Financial Officer in July of 2019. In July of 2022, Amy left her role as CFO to launch into consulting and is building her own practice, focusing on growth strategies for small to mid-sized businesses and nonprofits. Amy is a candidate for the Global Leadership MBA from University of Texas, Dallas, and is a member of the Institute for Mergers and Acquisitions Alliance and Project Management Institute. Amy has served on numerous local nonprofit boards, focused on youth and families and music and education, and was the chair of the City of St. Paul's Capital Improvement Budget Committee from 2018 to 2021. Amy loves listening to finance and true crime podcasts, reading, listening to live music, and spending time with her active family. Amy, thank you so much for being my guest today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Megan, for having me on. This is exciting. I love to talk about finance and leadership, so this is fun. Well, then
0: perfect. Today, we're going to be discussing your career as well as the benefits and challenges of taking what could be considered an unconventional route to the role of the CFO. And I'm looking forward to hearing your story. So let's get started. Okay, sounds great. As always, let's start with you. And if you could just talk to us about your career journey and and how it is that you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, sounds great. So you already mentioned an unconventional path. And I, I do often talk about, I had an unconventional path in getting to my CFO role, but it's really from a leadership perspective, it brought a lot of depth and energy that I found that really works, especially within a CFO role. And I will t- I can talk about that a little bit more later, but I was actually a teacher and a manager for a large school district in St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, in early in my career. And my bachelor's degree is in an anthropology with wow. minors in education in Spanish. So some people might be like, oh, well, that's interesting. How, how did this all happen? So I worked in the school district for five years and before moving into nonprofit management, both in the classroom as well as out of the classroom, helping to support teachers. And when I moved into nonprofit management, I was a senior manager and then a director and really worked with housing services, youth family, and working across the metro and then later on across the state for a very large nonprofit here in Minnesota. It was really right during the the height or right when the subprime financial crisis was happening. So I entered into those roles in 2007. The subprime global crisis started happening in 2007, and a lot of nonprofits were struggling. So I always loved business planning. I loved strategy. I loved finance. It was, you know, something that came very naturally to me. I was on the math team in high school. So I always loved math and and all of those different aspects. So I took those models and really built very sustainable models and models for growth within my programs and my portfolio. So when a lot of programs were closing... I actually was very successful. My team was very successful in growing, adding staff, taking smaller portfolios, making them larger. So really applying those business planning and financial acumen models and using a lot of breakthrough models. So I really loved that. And in 2013, I started thinking about what was next. I had just finished up my coursework for my master's in public administration, really focusing more in finance and what Public private partnerships look like. And I started doing some informational interviews to find out what's next. What does this look like for me? And the senior director of finance at Lutheran Social Service of Minnesota, that's where I was at that time, he found out that I was looking for a new role. And he said, Hey, have you ever considered being a financial manager? I have an opening on my team. I think you'd be you know, really great. You can take some of the things that you've been doing and really help more broadly across the organization. So since it was an organization I was familiar with, loved the work, cared about the mission, and just really had a connection with so many people, I thought, that sounds great let's let's do that let's you know take that next step and it seemed like the perfect fit i was able to work with a portfolio of about 35 million i used a lot of the same things that i had been doing in my own programs but could do it across the organization more broadly and that just really gelled for me i found that it was a tremendous opportunity finance and strategy together is just a tremendous tool to be able to really help build stability and flexibility to meet the mission, serve communities within within the nonprofit space. In December of 2014, after only being in that role for a little over a year, but a year and three months, I was actually contacted about a role at Wilder. And they had an opening as a director of business performance and financial analysis. And I initially declined because I I looked at the job description and I said, oh, I've never done half of this. I'm not sure if I can do this. And it was interesting because that very same weekend, and I was reading an article that came across, I don't know how it came across to me, but from the Harvard Business Review by uh, Tara Sophia Moore on why women don't apply for jobs unless they're 100% qualified. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. It was like the universe was correcting me and saying, hey, you made this decision a little bit too short, uh, so maybe reconsider. And I read that article and I said, oh, wow, that's exactly what I just did. I just looked at this thing and I said, oh, I can't do this. I don't know how to do any of that. And I ended up having a conversation with the recruiter that next week. And he said, well, have you rethought your decision on applying? And I said, yeah, I have. I went into that, I was an underdog. I knew I was an underdog. I had only had a little bit of experience technically and and specifically within finance, but interview by interview, uh, I was offered the position right before the new new year, new calendar year, and started at Wilder in January of 2015 uh, and had that role. And it had some different iterations and gave me really great exposure to working with the board, doing a lot of analysis, working across the foundation, and getting great exposure to things that I hadn't had. But you know, I'm I'm a person where I dive into things just to understand it. And in July of 2019, as we were having some transitions with our VP of Finance and Admin, who also served as our CFO, the CEO came to me and said, "I want you to be the next CFO." And that really came forward after creating and proposing this really big plan to strengthen our financials and led to a lot of work with the board. So at first I was like, really, are you sure? <laughs> and and she's like, yes, she, she called me in. It was, I was right on my way out for a, a very long needed vacation. And the CEO was like, oh, can you come connect with me really quick before you head out? And I had no idea what it was. And she said, you know, it's, been a great year. I know it's been a lot of hard work. Thank you for the budget. The board is really pleased. And I want you to be the next CFO. I looked at her. I was like, really? Are you sure? And she's like, yes, I'm absolutely sure. Um, and so that's, that was really my, my kind of strange path into it. Um, and, you know,
0: the, the rest, I guess, is history to, to where I am right now. That's a very unconventional path. I've spoken with a lot of CFOs that have come from marketing or um, even psychology, but I've never spoken to one that came through teaching.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it does seem, it seems a little odd, but, um, you know. But it makes sense. Definitely, It does. It did. It it made a lot of sense, actually. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned that you were maybe not the most qualified candidate for the role when you joined uh, Wilder. Why is it? did you think you got that role
1: so i actually asked the the person who hired me who was the vp of finance and admin at the time and she remains a really good friend of mine and a mentor to me, but I did, I asked her and I said, so I I have to ask you this. And I I probably waited a little while. I I want to say it was maybe about a year into the role that I asked her because I wanted to make sure they weren't, you know, that everything was going to work out. Okay. And, and she, she smiled. She had this really great, so she has a really great smile. And she said, you brought something that other people didn't bring and you could translate language. And you brought a heart and a spirit and an energy where I knew that I could give you any challenge and you would take it on and you would do it in a way that would bring other people along with you. And I'm like, oh, wow, I've never heard that before. But she just said there was just something about bringing together those those heart and mind pieces and in the way that you connect. And, you know, I think looking back now, And and also, being in the CFO role for a few years, I continued that work. And it was just this very open-door policy, translating, creating a very development approach, working with people, collaboration is huge. And I could tell the story of why it mattered and, and why that impact mattered to our families that we were serving. And that had not been there before. So that was just really critical for them at that, that
0: particular moment. And just curious, but why do you think we as women sell ourselves short so often? Because I know I'm guilty of the same.
1: I've talked to so many women and I've I've done some mentoring and coaching for, for a couple of women this last year as they've been looking for jobs. There is just something I think ingrained in us where society has told us for so long, well, you need to know how to do all of these things. You have to show us, you have to you know, give us that experience. And it, it just becomes so ingrained in, in who we are uh, that as we're entering the workforce, we tend to just be a little bit more mindful of how we show up. Because so many different rules are like, oh, you have to look like this, or you have to act like this. Um, it's either speak up or don't speak up. All of these different, very strange kind of rules and norms in society that are confusing. And we, I, I, I think, and I guess I can speak for myself more specifically. I'm definitely a processor, and I pay attention to my surrounding, and sometimes that gets in the way. It, it becomes kind of this, this messy, noisy. Noisy piece. And I think we need to get comfortable with that messiness in the messy middle and be okay with it and still just say, nope, you know what? I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to move through this. And right now, raising daughters, I talk a lot about being bold and it's, a, it's great to make mistakes. In fact, you want to make mistakes because you learn more from your failures. So it's unfortunate, but I look back at how I grew up and yeah, a lot of mixed messages. Yeah. It's either go forward, don't go forward, speak up, don't speak up. And just this need to always feel like you had to prove yourself. Um, and, and it's hard. If you don't get that experience and you don't have the opportunities to do that, how can you prove
0: yourself? So I think we sell ourselves short a lot yeah would definitely agree with everything you just said um and in your linkedin profile you describe yourself as having compassionate grit so yes. what does that what does that mean <laughs>
1: yes okay so i i love the concept of Grit. So you think about Angela Duckworth and, and her her concept of grit. I, I love her. I love her work. And it's being bold. It is being self aware. It is taking your experiences and what you have been through, and really driving from that. I add the compassionate piece because I am I'm such a person where being connected to something is really important to me understanding the impact is really important to me. So while I can say, oh, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to go off and I'm going to do these things for me or by myself, I don't quite function like that. So the compassionate piece is when I am thinking about what's next, when I am working on projects, when I am being bold, I am looking at who else can be involved? How is this going to impact what's happening in my community, in the organization, in my family, whatever those layers are, and really thinking about what is that long-term mission, vision, And what do I want things to look like at the end? I've talked to people about, you know, resumes, they're great, right? You can put all kinds of things. We're we're always working, especially as we're building our career, to build those resumes. And this is going to sound morbid for a second, but I like to spin it a little bit and talk about, but what does that eulogy look like? How do you leave the world in a better place or leave things in a better place, no matter how small by your compassionate grit. So that's what it means for me and you know part of it is is growing up we didn't have a lot we we were you know working class poor family I didn't have family members that went to college I was the first in my family and I just needed a lot of that I needed a lot of grit but I also needed to also remember where I came from so that compassionate grit is really what has
0: led me. Yeah, I like that. So let's talk about your current organization, um, Amherst H. Wilder Foundation. And what is it exactly that they do?
1: Yes. So I always like to tell people first, because the foundation word throws people off a little bit. We're an operating foundation, which is unique. So while a lot of foundations, you apply, they grant funds. We don't grant funds to other organizations per se. Sometimes, yes, we partnership. We have partnerships and and do some small um, support startup pieces. But instead, we use the endowment to fund the programs and projects that we are providing in the community. And it's allowed us to try new things, leverage other dollars, and, and really see what works for for the community. It's also more East Metro Twin Cities focused. It started as just St. Paul um, with the mission and the vision back in 1906. But we've had some expansions across the metro, more specifically in our school-based mental health and some of our other community mental health models. But it is very specific to our mission and, and very critical work. So what I would like to say is, you know, Wilder has been always been very innovative and trans has transformed over the years. But the core is we provide support for the whole family. And And that is from prenatal to older adults and everything from housing, mental health supports, and everything that that a family needs in between. And we're really here for all families, whole families. One of the things that's very unique and and interesting for Wilder is we have a research division. And, And that is also something that I always like to point out because a lot of our work is very rooted in that research and assessments and being able to test and pilot new things and then be able to assess it. So we do a lot of that internal collaboration and you know being able to look at what works, what doesn't work. Um, and sometimes this has even led to spinning off new partnerships or or spinning off new projects. And so the innovation is really very much still alive and present. But at the heart of it, we are here to serve whole families within the metro area and look at ways to assess and research and find better ways to serve families in a more more impactful and critical way. Um, So that's how I like to talk about what we do in a little bit of a nutshell. And Wilder has been a part of my life for a very long time, uh, accessing services as, as a young person, and then also referring a lot of families that I worked with over the years to the services that they provide so it was it was just really like coming home and and just a real connection when when I started working there because of the work that they do yeah I was
0: gonna ask you how how can people or families tap into these services
1: yeah so I obviously through websites there's there's a lot of opportunities to refer in through there but we are very connected in through the schools, through a lot of other services across the metro area. And it's just a a matter of a conversation and sharing what are you needing? What are you looking for? And getting that that referral. You can also self-refer. So we're not just an organization that needs a referral. You can call us up and you can talk to to one of our amazing front desk people and say, hey, this is what's going on. Who should I connect with? And be able to get connected that way as well. And
0: what are your proudest achievements since joining Wilder, or maybe even before? Oh, as you oh. look back on your career, your proudest achievements? Yes, yes. Oh,
1: well, let's see. Your eulogy, my proudest, I guess. Achievements, <laughs> <laughs> my eulogy. <laughs> All right. So yes. So so my eulogy, my proudest achievements. I would say, you know, first and foremost. The partnerships and relationships that I've built have been really important, and just to know that anywhere that I've moved on from and anywhere that I am, I have this amazing group of people that I can connect with. So definitely, the relationships, the partnerships, and and things that I've been able to to kind of hold on to in moving forward. Um, another thing that has been Oh, there's so many, which sounds silly, like to try to think about your legacy. I would say another thing that's been really big for for my team and for I, especially these last few years, is we were in a place in 2018 where there was a lot of vulnerability with The the financials. And that really kind of came again out of that subprime crisis that happened when the endowment dropped significantly. And Wilder was in a place where they they had to divest of a lot of their programs. And we were all from other nonprofit spaces watching, like, okay, what's this going to look like? What's going to happen next? And uh, they ended up divesting of a lot of work and kind of went down to some more core programming areas. And there was a big hope that that endowment balance would grow, but also at the same time, the needs in the community were growing. So you get kind of in this place where it's like, okay, we need to preserve, we need to save, and we need to serve the community. So that's that's a really big um, challenge. It's a big push and pull. And so the endowment balance didn't quite get back to where People were hoping. And through a lot of work and analysis that I had done uh, myself and with my team, we had seen that we were really just a 20% drop away from a very vulnerable situation. So, the plan that I had referenced earlier that led to the CFO role was really working with the board and the organization, everyone, every layer across the organization to look at how do we move this in a different way that doesn't greatly impact the services that we provide. So essentially, how do we reduce our spending from our endowment? Because at that point we were spending over 8% and our returns were around 6% on average. But how do we do this in a way that doesn't hurt the community. So I really went all hands in across the organization, every area, every division, in working to find the best ways to do that. And over the, the next few years, which was just the last few years, we were able to significantly reduce our endowment spend from a total spend perspective. And we did that through focusing in on core services really honing in on that whole family support, uh, really driving into business plans and business models without sacrificing our services. And I took a long dive and detailed approach into reducing our debt, restructuring our debt, uh, increasing our underfunded status in the pension. So all in all, what was the result of that? At the end of this, this current fiscal year, which just ended here, June 30th, over a few-year period, we went from that over 8% to a 5% spend, uh, which is significant. And that was not without sacrifice from you know across the organization. But we actually grew. We grew in revenue. We grew in number of, of people served. We grew in our, our FTE. We made it through an incredibly tremendous time in COVID, and we reduced our debt significantly. And that allowed for us to move millions of dollars that we were paying to to debt and and other liabilities back to operations. So that was huge. Um, So that's, that's really definitely something that I look back at and I say, wow, you know, those really long weeks and weekends and all of those meetings... They were hard. They were yeah. challenging. There were a lot of moments, but but it, it paid off. So I would say that's that's a big thing. I, I feel good about that.
0: Absolutely, that's a great story and something to definitely be very proud of. You mentioned that during that process, you worked across the organization, and also in your LinkedIn profile, you mention um, cross-functional teams. So how do you get everyone to the table and to buy in and like develop the relationships that are necessary to work cross-functionally?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great question. Uh, so for me and what I've done and what, what my team has really focused on is we have to stay focused on the mission. We have to stay focused on the community and the families that we're serving because without that, we really just lose our gauge. And keeping focused on that we all have a starting point for our value, what drives us. So companies have value propositions and and our value proposition is really ensuring that the community has what it needs and that we are providing the support that the community needs, whatever that looks like for them. So we have to stay focused on that. I would say that's the, the big main point. And constantly having that forefront and at the very beginning of the conversations, the meetings, and what you're working towards, how does it go back to the mission? How does it go back to our end goal of serving the community? And that's huge. And even along the way, as you have disagreements or you know, you're know you debating the approaches, we can always come back to that. That's one big thing. Communication is huge. I can't stress that enough. When when I was you know younger in my career I would used to think oh well okay I, I communicated this and it's like a one-off I've learned over the years repeat 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 and that's really because it there's so much going on in, in everyone's daily lives and everyone has so many things to do that it is really important to continue to communicate not just share the message, not just share the tasks, but constantly bring it back to the, this is what we're hoping to accomplish. This is what our goal is. This is why this is important. So communication is not just about sending an email or a memo. It's really making it intentional communication and and bringing it back to that. But I can't stress that enough. The other, the last part I would say that has been really important for, for me as a person and that I have seen work is making sure that there is a broad and diverse set of stakeholders involved in that process, that you're not just connecting with the executive team or people on the finance team, because everybody has a stake in what the outcome looks like. And so it is really important to invite people in and and not just invite them in, but have them be a critical part, an inclusive part of the work that they're doing or that you're doing. So your program managers, um, administrative supports people who are working directly with the families in the community and have them be a part of that because you could miss something. It's very easy when you're at a certain level to overlook some of those critical components. So I always feel it's really important to just have a very diverse and inclusive way of working through that process, and then sharing and communicating that out along the way. So I'd say those are the, the three things, definitely, that have worked and are really important.
0: Yep, that's great advice. And these days, it seems like it's so easy to surround ourselves with people who think just like we do, mm-hmm. or to like yes. seek out a message Because it's what we want to hear. But I I love your point to make sure we have a diverse set of people who might not always agree with us.
1: Absolutely. You know, one other thing I can say around that too, that, you know, through that process, there's also that post process, I think is just as critical and as important that a lot of times, you know, a project gets done and we're like, okay, we can table that. I don't agree with that. But some people would call me a slightly a bit of a change junkie, but I think it's incredibly important to assess, loop back, do feedback loops, gather information see how this is working and have opportunities along the way to evaluate and make changes and, and know that things change. Right? You yeah. know, things are dynamic and, and evolving all the time. And so we can't just say, oh, this is great. We're all set. We have to be able to question and, and uh, ask more questions than have answers is what I always like to tell people. I'm not going to give you an answer right away. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions and then we will come to solutions together. And uh, that has, that is, that was a little bit of a change I think for some people who are looking for just tell me yes or no. I'm like, I can't do that.
0: <laughs> I can't do that. Then we have to assess. Yeah. yeah. I think that feedback loop is a step that most or not most, but many people kind of forget about. So that's a great point. Yes. yes. Yeah. So what advice would you give to someone out there looking to get to the CFO position who also is coming from an unconventional background?
1: Yes. Oh, so many things run through my mind. Uh, I would say if you don't have the conventional background and experience, it's so important to seek opportunities, ask for opportunities and learn and grow to showcase your talents and, and skills and just continuously learn. Networking, getting involved in the organization, such as in groups or, or other different things. So a lot of times, I think we can come into an organization or a company, we have our role, we do our role, but maybe we have sites set for something different. But we don't expand. We don't say, oh, I'm going to you know get involved with this you brand launching if there's an opportunity to bring other people in. Or we have some action learning teams at Wilder around values and, and PTO and some holiday things. And just getting involved and having an opportunity to work across the different divisions and areas Be involved, understand how organizations work or how your organization works, and getting some of that firsthand exposure is incredibly important. And you know, trying new things, bringing new ideas forward, I think that's another thing that is very important. Is you know, we kind of wonder. Do I say something? Do I not say something? Bring ideas forward. Uh, Bring them to to other areas. Ask to help on projects, gain that exposure. Stay curious, pay attention. Your finance is dynamic and layered. And there's so many different aspects to really know that there's more to know than one person can ever truly know. So, uh, and recognizing, as you had just mentioned, that there are diverse perspectives and diverse ideas. So get to know those continuing to gain new skills is is really critical. So while I did not have that conventional path, I did along the way uh, do, we we have a, a local university here in Minnesota that had has this program, these mini master programs. And so in some of my roles earlier on in my career, I was getting a mini masters in nonprofit finance, you know, fundraising certificates. So it is really important to continue education, learning new skills, learning where your gaps are and finding ways to fill those gaps is incredibly important. Staying up in technology, so much is changing. Uh, And then Getting really comfortable with communicating, I would say, is very critical. And I don't just mean, you know, writing a letter, being a very good... technical writer, but more around that messaging, storytelling, presenting, bringing information to various audiences. And again, I go back to being aware, knowing what your audiences are. I've always been more of a storyteller with numbers, connecting dots, showing why it matters, where we should focus on things. But I always think about the audience. And so I think that that's a really critical critical skill and, and thing to develop if you're looking to move into leadership roles and be in a CFO role. I think the old kind of thought around a CFO was a bean counter. Uh, and that that is not where we are. That is, that is not how I operate, how a lot of CFOs I know operate. And it, it is very dynamic. And then lastly, I would say Find find a mentor, a couple of mentors in different areas. One that can mentor you on some of the technical sides and then the one that can mentor you on the soft skills because those are just as equally important. And a coach. I've used coaches a couple of times in my career, especially when I've been in pivotal moments where I've wondered, is this where I want to be? I'm struggling here. What does this look like? It just gives you added insight from another person that isn't your boss, that aren't your colleagues, not your family, not your friends. So you get this unbiased and very safe environment to be able to talk about the things and and get some really great advice on how do I get to this next place? So I can't stress that enough. I think it's very important to, to have that support network as well.
0: Just curious, how did you find your coach? Seems yes, like there's so, a lot of coaches yeah. out there. Just uh, how did you pick uh, one yeah. that worked out no, for there,
1: you? There are a lot of coaches. And the first time it was actually through my supervisor. and Well, actually, both times were through my supervisor. But um, the, the second time I did a little bit more interviewing. But the first time was through my supervisor. We had worked together and I had been sharing with her that you know, I wanted to start to think about the future. And, and so she had given me a list of a few people to connect with. And so I talked to a few people and and I found someone where you really gelled and, and she was super helpful. We worked together for only six months, but it really helped me think about what those next steps were. Uh, the second time, it was also through a supervisor and, and having some access to to be able to use some development dollars for that. And I had also reached out to other colleagues and said, hey, who are you using? And and connected with a few people and done some interviews just to learn a little bit more about them. I think that is important. I think you do need to take some time to get to know them. Mm -hmm. I would also say too, it's okay to stop working with somebody. If if it isn't meeting your needs, um, keep that that open mindset and, and get comfortable comfortable with that as well. But that's how I found mine
0: uh, over the years. And you just recently, as recently as last week, left Wilder, although you're continuing to work for them on a uh, consulting basis. But what went into that decision to leave, first of all? And what are your plans for the future?
1: Yes. Oh, this was, it has been such a hard decision. And, but I feel good about it it was really a mix of a couple of things. Reflection. I, I know I didn't talk about this a lot, but I'm very much a reflective person and I'm always trying to connect those dots. That's where that compassionate grip piece comes in. And then also thinking about future and future growth. And what does that look like for me? And when I started reflecting on the work that I had done, I was really excited about the projects, the refinancing, restructure work, some of those big things, the leading through big change and new business strategies and ideas. And Wilder is, is a fantastic place. And while I've been able to do some of that there, I wanted to do more. I wanted to see what does that look like if, if I were to really focus on that work and, and be able to springboard that. And then I also started to think, what would it look like to work with other organizations that that need support like that. And that really energized me. And I was at this place I'm like, okay, well, I could start to do this on the side, but I'm, I'm working a lot of hours and that doesn't really seem very feasible, but I really was energized by a future in, in helping other organizations. So you can kind of see where I'm going with this. Um, so immediately I'm just taking a little bit of time to spend with my kids because it's been an intense few years, but I am working and building out some concepts and some models and making my way into consulting. So I do I do I do and am working towards having my own practice and, and a team in the next couple of years. But for right now, I am focusing on partnering and, and working with other groups and getting my my portfolio out there and and talking to people and and see what the opportunities are, really trying to pivot and and focus on growth strategies uh, and and really looking at getting into a little bit more of that post-merger work from mergers and acquisitions. So that's my plan. <laughs> that That is what I'm working on right now. And just starting to really move through that. And until then, though, I'm still working with Wilder on, on some projects and I'm still available. But really, this felt like the best decision at this particular time. But it was hard. I... Oh, this week i've I've already really missed everybody. and even the last two days i I still continue to talk to people. So I'm like, oh, nothing really changed, but <laughs> uh, that that's my plan at this point, but it was a hard decision, but I feel good about it.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the perfect next step for you. and uh, I look forward to hearing about where where this next chapter is gonna take you. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so lastly, um, just curious, do you have any advice for people out there who are searching for something and whether they're CFOs or just finance professionals, but they're searching for something more meaningful in the, the work they're doing? It, it's not always easy to find when, when you're in the finance and accounting profession, but um, we all want it. So yes.
1: Oh, meaning of life meaning in finance <laughs> business. <laughs> um, I think that's going to be very personal for different people. And, and I'll start there. I, I think it really does have to be a personal journey and, and a, a personal reflection on what does that even mean for you? What does finding meaning or, or adding more meaning to something mean? And that's going to look different for everybody. <laughs> for some people, that is going to be very focused on where they work and, and how they work, and their teams, and, and they're very committed to the mission. And for other people, it might not be at their company or where they're working, but it might be elsewhere. So I think first, what does that even mean? What does meaningful work mean? And then identifying, are you going to fill that bucket at work or are you going to fill it in other ways? making those determinations. And either one is great. There's not a right or wrong to either of those. In fact, I've done a mix of those over over my career, my life, even working in the nonprofit. I would say for having that or, you know, having the work be purpose-driven in your work, in your workplace, identifying again, what makes you tick, Are you excited about the work that you're doing on on an everyday basis? Are you finding ways to connect? Are there other things that you want to learn? And that goes back to my advice a little bit in what moving into a CFO or other leadership role could look like is that networking and connecting. Sometimes just feeling more connected within your workplace and having opportunities to work across teams adds more value to the work that you're doing. And it doesn't take away from your everyday work that you're doing. And sometimes you find new things. You're like, oh, I never thought about moving into that department. That sounds really exciting. So I've, I've seen that happen throughout careers at Wilder even where someone starts in one area and then they move into another area. And that has really been through that networking and connecting. So find what works. I would also though, at the same part of that caution and say, don't push or spread cells too thin. That you know leads to burnout because while your initial intention was to find more purpose or meaning, sometimes it leads to spreading yourself too thin. So that's just a, a little air of caution. On the other side, if you are no, I'm just going to do my work. I'm happy with my work. I know that I'm making an impact in in the work that I'm doing, but I also want to give back to the community. There are so many boards and so many organizations, and and even you know, youth sports teams that would love to have people involved, whether it's serving on a committee or, you know, helping on a one-off task or being an assistant coach or whatever that is. But there are so many ways to really fill that bucket and give back to the community in a different way that I have seen really energize people in the workplace as well. So look for those opportunities. It doesn't have to be too far. It doesn't have to be huge it can be something as you know simple again as uh, helping out at your local high school concession stands once a week because you really support what's happening there. So I think it's you know all of those different pieces and that's that's what I would have people do but start with reflection and and pay attention. pay attention to you know how you're managing that and
0: figure out what fills your bucket. Great answer. thank you for that advice and thank you so much for being my guest today. Yes,
1: yes, this was this was great. There's you know so many things to talk about in the world of of finance right now, as as so many things are changing. So to be able to focus on something a little lighter and the positive aspects and, and leadership is fantastic.
0: Yeah, this was a great conversation, and I really enjoyed thank speaking you. with you and hearing about your experiences. And of course, I wish you all the best in this next chapter of your career. Thank you, thank you, Megan. It was an honor to be here today. To all of our listeners, please tune in next week. And until then, take care.
1: If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com.
0: You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Persona. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out persona.com. Thanks for listening.